Connecticut and Massachusetts, Z&M Homes buys houses. Sell your property to the local guys. Needs repairs, updates, maybe foreclosure or inherited? No problem. We gotcha. Google or add us on Facebook at Z-A-N-D-M-Homes.com. Vexy's musical podcast. You might not know it by listening to this podcast, but I actually do have other interests besides music. Lunch, for example. I like lunch. I also happen to like baseball, and being in Massachusetts, I'm not ashamed to say that I happen to be a lifelong fan of the Boston Red Sox. And while I'm not going to bore you with stories about the 1967 World Series, which they lost, or the 1975 World Series, which they also lost, or the 1986 World Series, which I'm still not happy about, but I am going to talk to a guy who's been among a group of well-seasoned musicians who have combined their love of music and the game of baseball. The name of the band is The Baseball Project. The Baseball Project is, for lack of a better word, a supergroup that includes my guest today, Scott McCoy, formerly of the Fresh Young Fellows. Scott co-founded the band with Steve Wynn, former member of the Paisley Underground band The Dream Syndicate, his wife Linda Pittman on drums, as well as both Peter Buck and Mike Mills from R.E.M., the result of which has yielded four great albums of songs that purely deal with the game of baseball. Their latest record has been released by Omnivore Recordings entitled Grand Salami Time, and it's an absolute blast. We're going to talk to Scott about the new record. We're going to talk about baseball. We're going to talk about his involvement with REM for the last 29 years. We're also going to talk about the stroke that he suffered in 2017 and how well he's recovered. And not to spoil anything, he's done pretty well. The Baseball Project is going on tour with stops at the Sinclair Music Hall in Cambridge, Mass., on August 19th, and on the following night, they'll be at the Ridgefield Playhouse in Ridgefield, Connecticut. This is my conversation with Scott McCoy from The Baseball Project on Baxi's Musical Podcast. Hey, I made it. <laughs> Just in time. <laughs> Sorry, I, I, I kind of... Uh... Kind of spaced out a little bit. Oh, no, not a problem. <laughs> Two minutes ago, I was lying in bed drinking coffee, and now I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> I was eating my lunch and thinking, oh, oh my God, yeah, I got to rush too. So it's not just you, it's both of us. But I appreciate you taking the time out today. I know uh, I know you're busy. What with the trading deadline and everything? And, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, there is that. There yeah. is that. I got to keep an eye on it for my, for my fantasy team, you know. <laughs> <laughs> So let me ask you this. I mean, before we start, I'll, I'll start off with like a, a, a difficult life affirming question. What's worse, suffering a massive stroke that nearly kills you or watching the A's leave town and move to Las Vegas? Well, right now, the second one seems worse. But <laughs> but in 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 reality, I really have to you know remember that having a stroke was an inconvenience. <laughs> it was a serious inconvenience. And so um so yeah, I guess I'll I'll put that up, uh, put that first. But at least you can recover from a stroke. Oakland may not recover from something like <laughs> it's that. It's true. <laughs> it's true. And I and I got really nice um, tributes from the Oakland A's. You know, from the from the very the the president of the of the A's at the time did like a little video. Right. You know, for me, for me, you know, with all their with all their um all the people who worked for the A's. We were, you know, we're like wishing me best in this video and everything. And I was like, that's so cool. And then I was like, 
damn, now he's leaving. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not, he's not the owner, but, but I mean, he's the, he's still the, the president and he sure. had to, he had to sign on, sign on and go with whatever the, the owner wants, I suppose. There's so many fans going to those games. I imagine they can make a video for everybody there. Right, right. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. I really want to get to a game. Um, I mean, they'll be there for a couple more years though, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, you, you never know. Something could happen. It's not a done deal, but it's probably pretty close. Yeah. But anytime a, a city loses a professional team, it's always uh, it's always tough to uh, to let yeah. that go. Yeah. So I'm, I've been listening to Grand Salami Time. I absolutely, I absolutely love it as a, as a lifelong you know Boston Red Sox fan. You know, listening to you know some of the other the other albums, the Buckner's Bolero and Head Fucking Williams and Ola America. I mean. You got the Red Sox very well covered, so uh, thank you for that. I was listening to Buckner's Bolero today, and I was like, going, "Oh my God!" You know that that whole "what if" thing that uh, yeah. that Red Sox fans have been going through since right. <laughs> Babe Ruth walked out the door. Right. It's right, like right. A great treatment of it. Yeah, yeah, I I, I love that song. It it came out really amazing. Um, it's kind of like at the time we wrote it. Buckner hadn't been absolved yet so yeah. much by but now but now he has because they've won three times and and people have kind of softened their their anger towards him or whatever because yeah. because because you know and that was the whole point of the song was like that was just one thing <laughs> that was just one thing it, it's it's you can't really blame it on the guy no you know, you know but, and and I didn't at the time I remember watching it and and really feeling like even before that happened you know the game was right. lost you know the moment right. John McNamara puts Bob Stanley in the game. I'm with a bunch of I'm with a bunch of Red Sox fans at at at, at college and, and and we're all going, well that's it. You might as well just pack up and go home. Right. And right. Exactly. sure as shit, that's exactly yeah. what yeah. happened. Yeah. It's 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 like Bartman, you know, he you know he 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 got a he got a bad a bad uh thing too because oh, you know yeah. couldn't show his face know, in Chicago again. Right, I know. That was horrible. <laughs> Buck, Buckner handled it better than Bartman did. I That's think. true. That's true. So yeah, tell me about yeah. your, your love of baseball. Obviously, you don't write four albums of baseball songs unless, one, you love the game, and then, two, you're having a blast just doing it. But let's start with, with baseball. Where does this come from You know, with you, and, and, and where does it start? Well, you know, I mean, I probably was a – a baseball fan. Well, I was going to say before before I was into rock and roll, but they were probably right around the same time. You know, yeah. like being like a eight year old, nine year old. You know, where I kind of first heard rock and roll, and that was probably about when I really became a baseball fan too. Because you know, I just I was just a kid, you know, and that's you know, growing up in the in the sixties, it was it was all about music and and baseball, you know, and I and I was a I was just a, a kid, so I liked sports just like any other any other kid, you know. Right. I would play played little league and stuff like that. But I but you know, I was immediately I remember the first game I went to was um in a high Corbett field in Tucson, Arizona, which is a spring training game. And it was the Giants and the Cleveland Indians, because the Cleveland Cleveland Indians were the, in Tucson then at the time. And they were playing the Giants. And I was like eight years old and I'm like at the backstop, you know, holding on to the cyclone fence, looking through, and like five feet away from me is fucking Will, Willie Mays, you oh, know, oh, awesome, <laughs> and, and 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 Willie McCovey and Jim Ray Hart, and you know, the, the, all those guys, and uh, and I was just like, oh my god, this is amazing, you know, <laughs> and and I and I 
and then when we well, a year later we moved to San Francisco and so we moved to the Bay Area so I was thrown in with with all that crowd of, of, uh, of baseball players which were were amazing so it was a great it was a great era to be a kid yep. and go into baseball games you know I mean every game I went to I was seeing Willie Willie Stargell Roberto Clemente Sandy Koufax Juan Marichal you know I saw all those people and so what's not to like you know sure, right but at the same time, at the same time, I was really in the the, the throes of rock and roll. You know, the Beatles. What's this thing? The Beatles thing just <laughs> just captured me instantly. You know, just the the whole rock and roll beat just got me right then. So so they kind of went hand in hand in a way, even though they were totally divergent things, because people who liked sports weren't necessarily into music. You know, and vice versa or whatever. But but yeah, as a kid. You know, it's all it's all fair game. It was mo only mo more when I became a teenager that it was like, like when punk rock came in and stuff like that. You know, it was like, ah, sports aren't cool, you know, or whatever like that. But, uh, but it, I still always <laughs> managed to kind of keep both of them, keep both of them in my back pocket. You know, it's funny as you say that. I'm trying to I'm trying to think back. Well, you know, what came first for me was it music or baseball? And if I'm and if I'm being honest, it was it was baseball. Watching the Red Sox, you know, blow the '75 World Series, and I remember. Uh, one of my you know great memories. My 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 grandfather was a very big fan of the Red Sox, and he was in the hospital. He had a heart attack, and you know survived it. But he knew a guy who was a friend of Fergie Jenkins' father. And if you uh -huh. remember, Ferguson Jenkins played for for Boston for one season. It was uh -huh. not his best season by any means. But that that Fergie Jenkins got a ball signed by the entire 1977 Red Sox, and I was like, well, that's it. Now I'm hooked. You know, they did such a nice thing for my grandfather. I'm never going away. But if I'm being honest, I mean, I think baseball preceded my love of music and, and rock and roll, too. So it's one of those things that is just one of you. You grow up on it. And if you love it and, you, and it connects with you early, you, you just you just can't let it go ever. Right. Right. <laughs> and notice it, it took it took Steve and I 40 years to to bring the two together, yeah. you know, to bring baseball and music. Why not? Why can't they go together? And we and we did. And uh I'm glad we did. And, and, you know, as, as we found out, once we started doing the baseball project, there was, there's other cool hipster musicians who also like baseball too, you know? I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of people who are like, yeah, that's, that's bullshit. We don't <laughs> want to have anything to do with that. But, but there's a lot of people, there's a core of people that were like, oh yeah, you know, and they're all in our, our fantasy league. <laughs> <laughs> so where did the idea come from between, between you and Steve? Well, Steve says it was at um we were at the party for the rock for for when the REM was getting inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and we went to a a party the night before at like Mario Batali's pizza place or whatever, you know, and uh and we were having a lot of drinks, of course, as one would. <laughs> and at some point Steve said, you know, I always wanted to do an album about about baseball. And I was like, I, I was like, I've had the exact same idea. I've been talking about this for years and years and years. And so apparently, I, I don't even remember this conversation, by the way. <laughs> but I, I trust Steve that that we had that. Um, and um he 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 kept on with it and and immediately we went, let's do it, let's do it, let's let's do it together. Let's do it together, you know. And we, so we, we, we weren't even starting a band or anything like that. We just like let's do an album of baseball songs, and we started 
demoing things and i think i i demoed like two or three songs <laughs> like sometimes i i i think of willie mays and satchel page uh said and uh pastime i right. think i demoed those three songs and and steve had some ideas and so he, i said well let's let's book a recording session and so we looked at two two months down the line december nothing nobody was doing anything booked a booked a week in a studio in portland so then it was on you know once you book the, <laughs> once you book the time <laughs> you got to come up with the good yeah so and, we had to and, at, at least you did it in the off season too which uh which is probably yes. for the best it's true it's true yeah <laughs> how long after that conversation did you bring up this idea to peter buck um well we, it's funny because we you know linda was going to be a part of it instantly linda was like oh yeah i'm i'm you know she, she'll 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 play drums so we started with the three of us and we were recording with the three of us and then i was like well peter's not really doesn't really care about baseball that much he's he's too <laughs> smart for to waste his time on on sports <laughs> but but he loves playing music with us so we're like let's get him let's get him down here so you know he, he was living a few blocks away and he came over one day and and played on all 12 songs on the first record you know <laughs> <laughs> like that so so he was you know he's always up for for making music and so he wasn't he wasn't like yeah rah 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 let's do a baseball record but but he but he loves the songs he loves us he loves making music so he joined in and then it only made sense at one point to get mike mills because because he is a total baseball nut you know so and and uh and and the first the first time we were ever going to do a show peter couldn't do it peter was doing something else so we got mike to do the first um the first live show we did was was in spain in a little town in spain it was our really? first ever yeah and baseball's huge there oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> totally totally huge but uh you know we, we we managed to uh to spice up the set with young fresh fellows and dream syndicate songs and stuff like that so it was uh it was it was it was a pretty pretty good event but uh but yeah but that was our first ever baseball project our real show yeah our actual our first performance was was um david letterman was live on david letterman yeah. i was going to ask yeah. you about that i mean usually when you know when a band gets their first gig it's usually at like somebody's birthday party or the basement right. of a church somewhere yeah. Your yeah, first yeah. gig is on David Letterman's show. Yeah, yeah. What was yeah. what was that like? I mean, your I mean, your first record wasn't even out at that point. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. It was insane. <laughs> and I think we had a I think we had a day off. I think we were there um, doing uh, maybe some kind of REM thing, and we had a day off, and we booked it so we could do it that on that day. And uh, it was it was pretty crazy. And I think we got there, and I think um, they were doing for some reason they were doing two two shows that day it was a thursday sometimes on thursday they do two shows and okay. so they had one for us really early like in the nine in the morning we got there at 11 in the morning and they were just taking off the first band that played on the first show and it was adele <laughs> <laughs> we never, okay. never never heard of her never heard of her you know never heard of her she was brand new and she was like she's like oh yes the singer adele she's you know it's like oh that's cool that's that's cool yeah and it was like <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, she was she was on right before us. And then uh, <laughs> but it was it was a crazy show. But I, I felt really good because we'd never had really played. And we we got up, we stepped up to the plate and we hit it out of the park. You did. You <laughs> absolutely did. I just watched yeah. the video of it. You guys were great that night. It was a, yeah. you know, <laughs> it clearly, yeah, it, clearly it's you had fun. Yeah, it really yeah. is. Yeah. You've been a, a 
I guess you could say you've been a collaborator with REM, kind of like a like you're the fifth member of the, uh, of the band and been with them since like '94. The, the, the Beatles, as I like to call it. Yeah, I like to call it the fifth Beatles. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> but how did you get involved with them? You were still in the the Fresh Young Fellows at the time. How yeah. did how did that all start with REM? Um, yeah, I I I don't know. I got to be friendly with Peter, especially. Because you know he's a big music fan, and he was a fan of the Young Fresh Fellows, and he um, he'd come see us when we played in Athens if he was around. We'd maybe end up back at his house, drinking all night, listening to Big Star, and you know stuff mm. like that. You know that that as one will, <laughs> and um, we just got to be friends. And then when when he came to Seattle to work on Automatic for the People, they they were Ariam was had a had a full month. They were booked there and um and they came and he just called me up and said hey I'm, I'm gonna be in town for a while you want to go out for dinner and so he said yeah and so just started hanging out and then you know a lot of things happened he ended up moving to Seattle and ended up being sort of you know I was kind of his touchstone in Seattle as far as the music scene goes and I was really involved in the music scene so I had lots of friends to play with and we just started recording recording songs and doing stuff as sidebar like doing like minus five thing you know because right. I, I had an idea for this other project besides the young fresh fellows because the fellows were were kind of winding down a little bit i mean we're, we're still going but we will we were still going but we were weren't going to be doing anything for a couple of years it seemed like because people were reaching certain points in their lives where they want to scale it back a little bit you know that kind of thing and sure. i wasn't really ready to do that but so I started doing this project, the minus five with Peter, and we would record a lot and play a lot of shows around town, more acoustic kind of things. And then when um when REM was going decided to go back on tour uh, after Monster, when they made Monster, they wanted a uh, somebody to to play. And Peter thought I would be really good if because I could play bass, keyboards, guitar, I could fill in on, you know. And they didn't want any hot shot. They didn't want somebody. They didn't want. They weren't looking for Steve Vai. You know, <laughs> that, <laughs> looking, that would have been a great choice. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, Yingvei Malmsteen joins REM. <laughs> exactly. Well, they they wanted the anti the anti Malmsteen, and that's me. <laughs> that's me for sure. So yep. um, it ended up working out, and I ended up staying for the last eighteen years yeah. or whatever. Yeah. You know, it's it's funny that you you bring up Big Star. Because you know the, the latest baseball project album is on uh, Omnivore Records. Now, a couple things about that. One, uh, Cheryl Pavelski, who's the owner of Omnivore, is an old friend of mine from college. Uh, uh, she's wonderful. She is. She's she's just great. I've interviewed her a couple of times, and it's always it's always fun to catch up with her. But Omnivore released that that complete third Big Star box set, which was absolutely phenomenal. And. Yeah, and the, you know, the interesting part about uh, about going with Omnivore, you know, typically it's not a label that releases a lot of new material unless the label feels particularly passionate about what right. they are putting out. And I think you know that says a lot about her feelings about you guys in particular and about the the baseball project. What was it about Omnivore that made you want to release this record with them? Well, um, I'm not sure how it. I mean, I think we, I think we all knew Cheryl, you know, to a degree. We're all acquainted with her, and she just moved to Portland, which is where Peter and I live now. And um, so I ran into her 
a number of times because she goes to see music. She really loves music, you know. She's she's and she goes and gets out there and do it. And uh, with her partner Audrey, who was um, becoming the president of a of a college here, Reed College. And so uh, they had for their opening her her big welcoming committee that uh, weekend was for for celebrating her becoming the president was they had NRBQ come out and play. <laughs> you know? How cool is that? Which of course. I'm just like, I'm all over this, you know, it was, it was amazing. So anyway, but, um, you know, we, we, we'd been with Yep Rock for a long time. They're great. I still, I still, still on Yep Rock with a lot of other projects and, um, and it just seemed like it might be a good time to, to try something different, you know, um, we're still working with Yep Rock a lot. They're, they're doing reissues of the three, the first three albums now on colored vinyl and stuff like that. So, so it's all, it's all good with, with them, but, uh, it's just um, omnivore. I mean, we 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 obviously know the kind of music they love, and we love love the music. And it seemed like maybe the fact that it's more of a reissue label, it might be a way to set us aside because mm. because we it is a new release, and they they really throw a lot lot more into into a, a a new release, you know. So as opposed to being a reissue, a reissue thing, they probably have a, a certain a certain way that they do it but this one you know they 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 throw a lot of extra sure e- extra into it. so it just seemed like a good matchup because um we just i love i love that they when you when you know cheryl you know how much she loves music you, you know yeah <laughs> and, and how amazing it is and we all we all had we all had been <laughs> uh, been associated with them in some way or another on on the any on, on some level and just made made good sense and it's been really great so far we've so. known each other since we were both 17 18 years old so i've known wow. I've, I've known her for an awful long time and she's she's such a great fan of music and has such a yeah. such a great ear and i told her that that i'm only going to interview her every time she wins a grammy <laughs> so, uh, so, uh, so now there's three interviews and if she wins a fourth then she'll be back on but you know wow. i i think what i really like about this project is when you talk about baseball you're not just trying to cram names into a song you're covering things about baseball that fans would talk about. It's it's like even the good and the ugly parts of baseball are mentioned and touched and 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 worked on. And I think like, like one of the, my favorite songs on the new record is the Yips. I I found myself really liking that, and all I could think of is uh, is Chuck Knobloch. And I don't know if he's the guy right. that you know, <laughs> that inspired that song, but you know here's he's a, definitely one of them. He's definitely yeah, one of them. Yeah, I mean he's he's <laughs> one of those guys that had a, a great career, but then towards the end he couldn't he couldn't do anything. All the things that were so natural to him, and and the yips talk about that. Yeah, I think I think for Steve, I think the the main people that were behind that were Steve Sachs, Chuck Knobloch, <laughs> and maybe Steve Blass, who was a a pitcher who couldn't. But but there's a lot of other people that were lesser. But I think the the really classic yips people are are not. Knobloch and Steve Sachs were really big, but yeah, but that was a that was a great great song that Steve came up with. Um, I mean, we, we're we're not about promoting baseball as a sport, really. We're I mean, we love it, but it's but it's not about hey, everything about baseball is so wonderful. It's not. <laughs> it's a, it's a it's a big business that with all the fucked up things that happen with money and and everything like that, and and um, so we're we're all about. We like po- poking fun at baseball, 
we revere baseball. We love baseball, but we like poking fun of it. We like to to voice criticism for things that happen sometimes too. And also we just write about the characters who were often less than perfect human beings. And I think that's good because, you know, sometimes you hear, uh, it's, it, you know, I, I would never call it like a novelty band. I mean, I would call it, you know, you know, specific to what you talk about, but I think it's, it's so cool to hear that approach because I I've heard kinds of things like this before and it's just a matter of trying, well, how can I make this name rhyme with that name? And that's not what you guys do, which I think is really admirable because it winds up being a hell of a lot more entertaining doing it the way you're doing it. Right, right. Though I I have been accused of cramming a little too much information (laughs) into baseball project songs. Well, you gotta you gotta fill a whole album's worth, right? (laughs) I know, I know, I know. It's kind it's kind of crazy when I'm we're getting ready to to learn learning songs to go back on the road in August, and uh, and I just the remembering lyrics is really daunting for me since I had this had the stroke, you know, cause I can't remember words anymore. Yeah. And, and it was like, well, I didn't make it easy for me in these baseball songs. Cause I just like, <laughs> I just crammed so much, so much into those, those songs, but, yeah. but I'll, I'll be okay with them. I'll be okay. One of the, uh, the other projects that, uh, that you've been involved in is, is one that I really, really like a lot is Robin Hitchcock and the Venus three. Uh, I interviewed him last year and it was just, it was, it was just great. And uh, you guys did three albums with him. Uh, Ole Tarantula is probably the, the biggest one. Tell me about that experience with Robin Hitchcock and, and how did, uh, how did that begin with you guys? Well, you know, it, it went way back to the eighties when Peter was playing with, with, uh, with the, the Egyptians. He played with them quite, quite often played right. on, on uh, some of the records and and even played with them live quite a bit. So we had a basic foundation with him, and then I was a just a huge fan of Robin from from the early days. And the fellows opened some shows for them way back in the eighties. And uh, um, I always wanted him to produce a record by me and stuff like that, which we never really ca- kind of got around with. But well, we did eventually in two thousand seven. He produced the the fellows fellows record, but. Yeah, it was it just it just made sense. I I don't know I don't even know whose idea it was to come up with the band, but basically it was like the minus five at that point was Peter and I and Bill Rieflin and John Ramberg and Bill Rieflin had then got kind of drafted into REM to be the REM drummer. So so the three of us, Peter and and Bill and I were were a real unit. We were playing a lot of songs together and right. somehow, somehow I'm not sure how it happened, but somehow we recorded a session i guess it was in seattle with robin and then it became it became a band thing and we it was fun and we were we were having take we were playing shows and we kept recording and um so so not sudden suddenly we made three records and did a bunch of tours and all that all that stuff and you know at some point it fell apart but you know but it was great we did some we did some really great work i think on i those think records. i think you definitely did only tarantula is a great a great record yeah, I mean, yeah. Like, Good Night Oslo and Propeller Time are also great, but that one, of the yeah. three, I think the first one was still my favorite. Yeah, 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 yeah. definitely, definitely. You know, we've, we've mentioned a couple times about the stroke that you, you suffered in 2017, and, you know, clearly you've recovered, you know, for the most part, you know, fairly fairly well, but but tell me about that and, and, and about the recovery. You know, as a musician, a stroke can be pretty dangerous thing. You know, it, it could take yeah. uh, quite a lot away from you, but tell me about that whole situation and, and what recovery was like for you. Well, um, the best thing about it was, I mean, it, when I was first in the hospital, I couldn't, I couldn't talk. I couldn't, I didn't have any 
words or anything like that but um but peter brought a guitar in while i was still in the icu and put it in my hand and my my hand went to form a chord so that told me that i i hadn't lost that i knew how to i still knew remembered how to play i couldn't say anything but i but i could remember how to play a chord so that was a big deal because i you know i'd heard that Dave Davies of the Kinks and uh, Pat Marti Martino, other guitar players who had to start over in, in playing guitar. They had to completely start over. So I didn't have to start over on playing guitar. I had to start over with forming words and, <laughs> and, 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 you know, my left hand is actually pretty good. My right side was the one that got paralyzed. And um, so my, my right hand doesn't work so well. And it's, it's a, uh, it's it's a constant source of annoyance to me that I can't yeah. play rhythm guitar like I used to, you know, because that was one thing I was the one thing I was good at was playing rhythm guitar because <laughs> I'm not a flashy, flashy player in any way, say, perform, but I could I could hold down a, a solid, you know, Ramones rhythm, <laughs> you know, and now it's impossible. I, right. I my hand, my hand just won't do that, you know. Um, you know, I just kind of adapting and learning ways around it. And and sometimes I'm playing with a a music stand you know with the with the lyrics in front of me which i don't really like but but um yeah but you're you certainly know, I, you're certainly not the only guy to do that i mean a lot of no, people are doing that nowadays it, it's true it's true it's true so um you know i i, I didn't want it to stop me you know it but i i came back pretty quickly because i mean i it was like five months later where i i started doing this wednesday afternoon session in portland called um the we called them the uh the therapy sessions at this bar called the laurel thirst it goes from six to eight at night and it's a and and i did every wednesday there for a month and and i was just like it was it was letting people know that this isn't like a regular performance this is like me getting up there and trying to play music <laughs> <laughs> and i and i and i was only playing like beatles neil young and and some of my songs that I thought I might have a chance for remembering. Cause, cause those are the songs that were so in part, they're part of me that I thought maybe there's a chance I could remember them. I still had to start off with by reading all the lyrics. I couldn't remember any lyrics, but, but somewhere along the line, I started noticing somewhere, I think on the third or fourth week, I realized that I remembered the, the first verse of rollover Beethoven. <laughs> I remembered the words to that. And it was the first time I, I could remember any words at all you know and i was like oh my god it's it's there it's there somewhere i just have to find find ways to get back to it you know through because you know part of my brain is is dead you know it's, sure. it's not there anymore but your brain finds ways to to find passages to get to get around it and um once i realized that i was like okay well this is a something i can do i mean unfortunately i can't really control it sometimes it it flows better sometimes i can't remember anything but um so it's it's really scary like tomorrow i'm going to or saturday i'm going to play a show opening for jeff tweedy a rare solo show and those are really hard for me because i just like i never know what i'm going to get i never know if i'm going to be, be able to remember words or if i'm going to go completely blank right. you know so it's really it's really scary but i it's good to, for me to do it now and again just to just to try, you know, <laughs> yeah. but you know, you, but you're a couple of years out from that now, I mean, I've been, you know, 2017 yeah. here it is 2023. Obviously you're feeling well enough to put records out. And obviously yeah. a lot of this has come back to you. 
it's got to be good to be doing this with people that you that you really enjoy playing with who you know understand maybe a little bit more patient that you know certain things may be harder for you than they had been it, it sounds like you're in a really good situation with these guys and in a really good situation with your health today yeah yeah i am i'm in a really good situation with these guys, these guys all look out for me and I don't even want them to look out for me, but they do a little bit. You know? <laughs> they make sure I, I make sure I don't work too hard or whatever. And, 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 and they even, Steve and Linda even took it on themselves to get an extra crew person on this trip. Cause we, usually it's like us in the van right. and maybe a driver, <laughs> a driver tour. Manager. And now we've got two people. So it's going to be a kind of a cushy, cushy tour for us. Really. Yeah. You know, it's not, that cushy we're playing six nights a week yeah. but <laughs> you know but uh but it's gonna be it's gonna be really fun you got a couple yeah. of stops uh in in this area you'll be at the uh, the sinclair music hall in uh, cambridge on the 19th of august and then the following night you're in ridgefield connecticut at the ridgefield playhouse on on august 20th i'm thrilled you're coming to the area i wish i, I wish i was available those nights to go because uh, i'd really enjoy watching you guys play i wish you were too yeah i, I know i know but unfortunately this is this is what happens. But you know, how are things in how are things in Springfield? You know, they're good. I mean, uh, other than the fact that uh, it's been you know torrential rains and and ninety degree temperatures for the most part, uh-huh. things uh-huh. are good. Good, good. Scott, good. this has been a, a lot of fun. I, I I'm so glad I got a chance to uh, to talk to you about you know about baseball and about the band and yeah. and and how yeah. you're feeling. This is this has been and and to talk about Cheryl Pavelski. I mean, I could talk about her all day. Yeah, yeah. So, Cheryl's the best. Yeah. yeah. So real pleasure talking to you, Scott. Best of luck. Thanks a lot, Mike. Take care. Bye-bye. The name of the new album from the Baseball Project is called Grand Salami Time and Omnivore Recordings. And again, they're coming to Cambridge on August 19th and the Ridgefield Playhouse the following night in Ridgefield, Connecticut. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, you can reach me at BaxAtRock102.com. I'd love to hear what you think. Thanks again to ZM Home Buyers, and thank you for listening to Baxi's Musical Podcast.